asking the right questions will unlock your best life. They are the keys to enjoying more clarity, passion, balance, and confidence. Hi, I'm Todd Parker. And I'm Bridget Sampson. We're certified executive and life coaches, communication professors, trainers, consultants, and most importantly, parents. We're also dear friends who love diving into those deep conversations about life, relationships, family, and careers. All things about being a curious and compassionate human on this planet. So please join us, and we know you'll find something valuable that resonates with wherever you are on your journey. Welcome back to the Right Questions podcast. I am your co-host on this wonderful, you know, half hour to hour journey, Todd Parker, here with my friend and colleague and co-host, Bridget Sampson. How are you today, Bridget? Hi, everybody. I'm doing very well today and so happy to be with all of you again. Yeah. So, you know, we've been having a lot of interesting um, conversations and getting a lot of great feedback on all of these different conversations. And I say that because today's going to be a little departure from the last one. I mean, we were talking about style with the, the amazing Lauren Messiah in the last episode and really tapping into like personal identity and doing self work around how we present ourselves. And today, certainly like every episode has to do with self, but really might take us to a a deeper place given who our guest is and what our question is. So without further ado, I'm going to offer the question and Bridget's going to introduce you to who we, we have here today. But here's our question for the day. How can I break out of my invisible prison, right? Or to put it another way, how can you break out of your invisible prison? That's what we're going to tackle today. I'm really looking forward to that because my invisible prison is very real. (laughs) I am, I am very aware of it as, as I'm sure many of our listeners will be able to relate. So I want to thank our guest for being here, Dr. Angela Hubner. We're so excited to have this conversation with her today. And thank you so much for being here, Angela. Absolutely. Welcome. Welcome, Angela. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. And now we'll make you sit and suffer through this amazing introduction (laughs) because we all love it. And our listeners love to hear these incredible people like you who we have on our on our podcast. So hang in there and then we'll get to the conversation and we'll we'll completely forget that anybody's listening like we always do. (laughs) So Dr. Angela Hubner is a very experienced, licensed marriage and family therapist. She is in private practice in Falls Church, Virginia. So thanks to Zoom, we feel like we're right here with each other, but we're, you know, in very different places in the country. I love this from her website. I hope you'll check out her website, which we'll have in the show notes. Angela says that she believes that clients have an innate ability to heal, and she strives to meet them where they are in a non-pathologizing way. Any of us who've been in therapy know how much that means and how important that is. So I think it's a beautiful description. Angela combines the art of psychotherapy with the science of change to help people identify and break out of pattern thoughts and behaviors that we all have that keep us stuck, right? Her approach is very collaborative, educational, experiential, and I'm very happy to see that she has out there for all to see that she welcomes people from all sexual, gender, cultural, and spiritual orientations, incredibly inclusive and committed to equity in the world. We've all had lots of talks about that, and I love it. 
her education is extremely extensive. <laughs> so I'm sure this is just a brief touch on the highlights. Uh, she's been studying and working in the field of mental health for more than 30 years. She earned her bachelor's degree in psychology at the University of Nebraska, and she earned her master's and PhD in family studies and human development at the University of Arizona. For 17 years, she was a tenured professor in the Department of Human Development's Marriage and Family Therapy Program at Virginia Tech in Falls Church, Virginia. And there she taught both clinical and research courses, and she supervised grad students in their clinical work, those lucky students. I'm sure they all remember you and cherish that time, and conducted published research related to military families and adjustments. She's also an author. She's uh, finishing up a book, which we're going to get into talking about more. I think Todd's going to, we'll all talk more about that in just a little bit. But I've got to share, on top of all all this. She has all of these additional trainings and certifications, including just some of which are certified internal family systems therapists, emotionally focused couples therapy. I love the title of that. Gottman Marriage Therapy. If any of you follow Gottman, love his work on marriage counseling and therapy and support. Eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing or as we all know, as EMDR, which is very popular and well-respected in our times, tapping, emotional freedom technique, interpersonal neurobiology, hypnosis, life force, yoga, sixth sensory living. Oh my goodness. Like we could spend hours just diving into one of these bullet points that I have. But so just to give everybody an idea of, of, you know, just the highlights of your amazing background education experience. And personally, how did we get someone of the caliber of Angela to say yes and come join us on the podcast? Uh, that's because Todd and I were lucky enough to be in class together together for many, many months, eight, nine or so months in an International Coach Federation certification program or certification training that we had to take to get the, our certificate to then then go for International Coach Federation certification. And so we spent a lot of time coaching each other, learning together. We felt really extra lucky to have Angela in our class because can you imagine all the practice coaching we had to do? So we got lots of coaching from Angela, you know, who's, who's this incredible uh, therapist. And, and has all this education. And so it was a beautiful, beautiful experience. I think we bonded, learned a lot about each other through the experience, had incredible teachers, uh, Sue and Jory, and we highly recommend them as well. And we're all connected and in touch forever, I think, because it was a beautiful experience. So that's how we're lucky enough to have had Angela to be able to reach out to her directly and have her say, yes, she would come and talk with us. So I will wrap up the introduction there, but just say again, thank you so much for being with us, Angela. I've been, I woke up this morning as I do you know, often when we have a really, really special guest, just so excited to have this conversation and learn from you. And I know that in the difficult times that a lot of people are feeling that we're in, this is a really important conversation for us to share with others. And I know all three of us could enjoy just having it between us, but I think it's going to be really, really valuable for all the folks who listen. So Todd, take us away. <laughs> Well, I just want to say, Angela, what did you think of that introduction? Did she hit all the highlights? Oh, gosh, yeah. But she, she didn't hit the part about how excited I am to be working with Samson Coaching and Consulting, oh, right? Because this is a big deal, you. too. What you guys are oh. doing, I think, is really incredible. And I thought that even, you know, as we learned about each other in that coaching training, I, it was fantastic. And I learned so much from the two of you as well. So it was a win-win. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank so you, I'm really Angela. happy to be here. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. 
like Bridget said, you know, I we were coaching buddies. I had the luxury, the joy, like just the absolute honor of, you know, being coached by you for so many months. So some portion of the person that I am today, you know, rests in the coaching and the time that we spent together and how much that uh, you were able to unlock in me and, uh, you know, help me unlock, I should say. And then just what I learned as far as um, being uh, uh, showing up in, in a, a variety of ways to support people. So I'm eternally grateful for all of that. And I know that you'll have an opinion on this question, right? So <laughs> this, so here's where we're going to start. Let's, let's dig into it, right? So you, the question today is how can I break out of my invisible prison? That means I'm, I'm locked away somewhere, maybe of my own doing, maybe of someone else's doing. I don't know. We're going to figure out how maybe where that all stems from. But here's my question to sort of segue into it is we're coming out of now this pandemic, right? This, some call it this great pause that the collective world had to take this huge deep breath. And in that, you know, there was a lot, at least in, in my coaching practice and you know, in our coaching practices, I would imagine in your own practice, there's been a number of things that you've seen as a result of it. And I don't know if the book, um, you know, came out of it, but I just want to start there and say that given this great pause that we've experienced, what are you seeing and how does it influence what you're, the work you're doing now in um, showing up in support of, of everyone? Yeah, that's a great question. So the book I've been working on for quite some time. So it it was pre-pandemic, but the pandemic really kind of solidified all of it. And what I'm seeing in my practice is that the great pause, I love that. For some people, it was the first time they had the chance to slow down or were forced to slow down enough to even notice they were trapped. Right. Because what at least what we see here in Northern Virginia, my guess is you see it in California, too. I think it's everywhere in the country is we are really, really good at staying busy. And with my clients, it's always but I have to, but I have to. But my kids have this. They've got this lesson. They've got this. And there's a million you know, reasons why people can't slow down and sort of notice, pause what's going on internally. And the pandemic sort of wiped that out for a little while. And people were sort of like, oh, wait a minute, who's in here? So the families were in close quarters, right? Partners. So whether it was just two partners or, you know, with kids or in-laws living, having to juggle divorced families, having to, you know, have split households, but still be the same household. Yeah, there was a number of impacts. So where does one even start in you know, because you said pause. How did, what does one even start in trying to recognize that they're in this prison in the first place? It's a great question. So the way, the way that I think about this, and this is also the way that I work with my clients, the first piece is to recognize where you're stuck, right? And for so many people, they don't even, they're not even aware that, that there is a prison or that they're bumping up against an invisible wall. So that's the very first thing. And so in therapy, and I'm, it's same in coaching, right? What brings you in? What is it that you're wanting to do better? What is it that's not working for you? So the very first step in this whole process is what's, what's not working or where are you feeling stuck? And so I call it a recognition of what is, right? So, so step one, recognize what is. Um, that's the very first one. And that, that sounds simpler than it is, but the pause has helped with that. Like, wait a minute, I feel off. I don't feel quite right. Or this isn't fulfilling. I've got all, you know, I've got great money. I've got a good family and I'm still not happy. What's going on with that? Yeah. So I see that a lot. 
Well, in that, the title, and, and I want to make sure, is it a working title or is it a solidified title for, yeah, for the if, book? If, um, I think it's the solidified title unless a publisher makes me change it, but I'm, I'm pretty wedded to the title. So the first step is that, that recognizing what is. The second step, and I'll just walk through the steps and then we can circle back around. The second piece of it is recognizing and having compassion for how that came to be. Right. So it's recognizing what is and having compassion for what was, which we typically don't do. So part of it, part of what I do in the book and what I talk with my clients about is what's the science of the brain? What's the science of how our behaviors work, how our beliefs are formed and why is it so difficult to change those? So the recognizing or having compassion for what was is more of the, the deeper dive into previous life, you know, life, early life experiences. And how we form these beliefs that end up sort of going underground and keep us stuck. And then how those beliefs influence how we show up. And then we keep doing these same patterns over and over again. And what I find, I'd say all the time, I think is is a pretty accurate statement, is that at one point, these strategies were helpful. Right. So these parts of us, the way we show up at one point, they were the adaptive strategy, the survival strategy, and they worked. Right. They kept us alive. They kept us functioning. That might not have been pretty. Right. But it worked. And now our brain just wants to keep using that same pattern in a different context, at a different age, at a different time. And then we wonder why we're stuck. Mm hmm. So the making of the prison. Is. Self-made, right? It, there's all kinds of influence, but ultimately as adults, we arrive at this place, you say stuck, and something may, you know, bring that to a head where we say, I don't like this anymore. I need, but so the first step is I have to understand that I've made this more or less, like I'm empowering this prison in a number of ways. Sort of. It's, that's a great question. So just a little bit of, of what I would say before I answer that question, the way I think about it is there are three planes of connection or three levels of ways we get connected. So one is intrapersonally, my connection to myself, you know, how well do I know myself? The second is interpersonally. How well do I know you, you know, person to person? The other is more transcendent, like me to a higher being, me to source, me to quantum field, you know, pick your, pick your language there. But the thing that people need to understand, and Jailbreak really helps them understand this, is that our initial view of self is formed in relationship, right? Our view of self is always relational. And so the way we come to see ourselves as little ones is completely dependent on those around us, right? I learn that it's good to speak up or I learn if I speak up, I get shamed, right? So it's always, oh, okay, so that's how it works. Or I learn if I ask for help, people come, so I ask for help. Or I learn I can ask for help and nobody's going to come. Oh, okay, so I won't ask for help. Right. So we get all of these messages and the way our brain is designed brilliantly is so that we can adapt to wherever we got plopped into. Right. So if I plop into a family that is maybe emotionally not very sophisticated or sort of shuts down emotion. okay, to survive in this family, I shut it down. That's what we do. Or, you know, this is a very open we can talk about anything family. Oh, okay. That's what we do. But it, it doesn't occur to us that that's not just how it is. 
because we have no point of comparison. So, so then people come into therapy later saying, what's wrong with me? Why can't I overcome this? Why can't I white knuckle my way out of this? It's all, well, because the stuff was laid down earlier before you're even thinking prefrontal cortex was available to go, I like that, I don't like that. Like that doesn't come online until later. So, so part of what I helped, this is, we just talked about a big piece of understanding what was, right? Okay, these are the patterns I have. And when I understand why I show up this way, oh, it's not because there's something wrong with me, although that might be what I came to believe. It's because that's how I learned to adapt. Oh, okay. So now I can make a different choice. Does that make sense? I kind of. Oh, yeah. It makes so much sense. And I I love the compassion in it. And I think that, you know, in a lot of the coaching that we do and a lot of the coaching training that I've been through in both, I did two coaching programs. That was a big part of it, of helping people see that everything you're doing is amazing and has been working great and has gotten you to where you are. Like, you don't even want to look at them as like coping mechanisms because coping mechanisms, because that's such a negative derogatory term, right? It's like, no, no, no. Those things propelled you to get here and to be amazing you and to look at it all positively. And which I love the way you say, Angela, and there's nothing wrong with you. It's all right. It's all going right. It's kind of like, I think about, you know, I do some weight loss coaching and people are always surprised when I'm like, your brain has been serving you so well. It's just amazing. It thinks you're going to starve. So it's like, eat more, eat more, eat more. It's working so well. Like, thank it. Be grateful. Say, this is amazing. And not, but, and let's look at how things are going for you right now. And if there's something that you might want to shift at this point, that's not working for you in the way it has to bring you to be amazing you to this point. And, and because those same things that worked so well for you, maybe aren't working so well for you anymore. And we can work to rewire those neural pathways in the brain, which takes so much self-love and compassion and recognition that nothing went wrong before. (laughs) There's nothing wrong, right? And so people are really surprised. I share that a lot in my coaching and all the teaching and training I do. And they're really surprised. They think they're going to come to therapy or coaching and be told like all the things they're doing wrong and how they need to change everything. And so I just, I relate so much to your philosophy, Angela, and I just, I'm so moved by the way you're articulating it. And I'll, tur- I'll turn it back to you to continue, but I just wanted to say, you know, it, it really makes sense and is so aligned with me and us. Yeah. Well, and some therapists would do exactly what you're saying, and some coaches would do exactly that. <laughs> I know so they I, do. So I think that's I know. Lost. Yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. So one of the strengths and, and things that I bring together in the book and, and the way I work with my clients is helping them understand the science behind it. So they'll say, oh, compassion, I don't need to be self-compassionate. Well, you do, because physiologically, if I'm in a shaming, critical place, my whole nervous system does this, and I'm in a protected mode. And when I'm in this space, um, my body's conserving. I can't change neural patterns. I can't grow. And so it's not just a nice, touchy-feely sort of thing. It's like, if I'm not feeling, we call it, it's um, ventral vagal nervous system energy. If I'm not feeling that energy, my system can't change. Um, And so people go, oh, so it's not just, oh, you're a therapist, touchy-feely. Yeah, well, no. (laughs) Yeah. Well, those beliefs that served us so well, and got us to where we were, right? We, when we reached that moment where we 
may consider I have to give up these beliefs in favor of something new that will serve me well now. How do I, you know, if I'm listening to this and I'm going like, yeah, that's me. Like, you know, I'm, I'm at that point. I want to give up these beliefs. I know they're not serving me. What's the challenge for me in giving up that old belief? Like, why am I hanging on to it? So this part of this model really comes from internal family systems, which, which is a, a beautiful healing, non-pathologizing model. Um, but part the way that we get to that is this compassionate witnessing of where that belief came from in the first place. Right. What I find with clients, one is often they don't even know that there's this belief running the show. And so we have to we have to sit with and get a little deeper, slow down to see what is it that I even this part of me even believes. Right. And then when I listen to that part that has this belief that I'm never enough, for example, not like that's one of mine always, but right. Everyone's right. Everyone's. (laughs) How did you come to believe that? Right. So then I can sit with this part of me and she can show me the story or multiple stories, right. Of a time when somebody yelled at her because she didn't get it right or shamed her because she didn't do something right. And then she can tell me from this place of self, which we'll get to, what she believed. And then I can really compassionately hear her. And when she feels like I get it, I can say, well, actually, here's what I know. Are you interested? Right? So I can sort of update her about, of course, that's what you believed. Here's what was going on around you. Right? And you were six or you were, right? And so I can update that part with the backstory that they didn't get at the time, right? Most, most families, I believe, are doing the absolute very best they can, right? They really are. I really think with very few exceptions, you know, nobody's out to get their kids. And we make mistakes, right? Mom of two teenage daughters, like it, it happens, right? We miss <laughs> yes. a tune. We miss a tune. Guilty. Right. Yes. So, Guilty. so in those, if, if a parent was perfectly attuned, they would see that the kid missed it or, or wasn't making sense of it. And they, can, they could help them make sense of this thing that the child with, with that level of thinking doesn't understand. But most of the time that doesn't happen, right? So if as a six-year-old, I'm left to figure out what happened, I am going to come up with a story of something's wrong with me or the world's not safe. Because then I've got some agency over it, right? But then when I can come in as an adult and say, well, actually, darling, like you had no, you shouldn't have had to have figured that out. And you did a brilliant job and you survived great, but that never should have been yours to begin with. Let me handle it now, right? So that's how we start to see where that belief was formed. And when that happens, that that resonance of I feel that that other part of me feels seen, witnessed in a way that it wasn't back then then I'm, I'm ready to let go of the belief. Like it doesn't have any charge anymore. It's like a transition out of maybe anger or resentment into acceptance and, you know, for, into curiosity and then maybe into acceptance and the release of this to allow, and Angela, this is my speculation, so you're going to correct me anywhere I'm wrong. But, you know, that physical release, you know, metaphorical release of that burden or that tape, that story to then step into a place where we begin to have a greater self-concept, right? But more trust in ourselves, right? In ourselves, in our ability to make decisions and our ability to choose and our ability to like understand 
the moment and, and, you know, apprehend it as it is rather than with all these, these layers. So my question to that is like, I know a good portion of your book, it focuses on intuition. So I'm curious how, you know, cause tuning into self, learning to trust self, like, could you speak to how the work you just talked about allows us to step into other pieces of self or get in tune with other pieces of self, like our intuition? Yeah. So let me, let me pull it around. Remember the beginning, I said there's three planes of connection, right? So I can connect to myself. I can connect to, to a bigger source and I can connect interpersonally that the healing, that feeling seen, like I, like we talk about secure attachment. That's, I think that's more in the, in the popular vernacular these days, right? So secure attachment means simply, I feel seen, witnessed, understood. I know somebody's got my back. And traditionally, we talk about that interpersonally, parent to child, partner to partner. But it's really on all three planes, right? So can I have a secure attachment self to part, me to me? Can I have a secure attachment to, I would call it the divine, but you could call it the field, you could call it, you know, whatever, whatever language works for you. So in any given moment, we've got this ability to feel connected, to feel attached, to feel seen. And if, I, if I'm in that place, my nervous system is calm. I can tune in to who I am. And this, this plays a lot to, I know the work that both of you do about what's my vision, who am I? I, I always say to my clients, when my house is in order, when I know who I am, it frees me up to let you be you, you know? And like everything just feels better. So this then brings it back to what's that way of knowing, capital K, knowing, which, which we, I, I talk about it as intuition. We could talk about it as wise heart, internal family system calls itself. Every wisdom t- tradition has a name for that. I've done a lot of work with six sensory living. That was one of my blurbs, which is really more of this intuitive life. But so what is intuition? Intuition in the way that I'm using it is a way of knowing that sort of goes past prefrontal cortex. It's knowing, not thinking. And I say, like, knowing is you feel it here. So I always do knowing with a capital K, you know, it's, oh, I get it, right? So when we're tuned into intuition, that, that's the hunch, the gut feeling, the, I don't know why, this is just what we're doing, right? And that's us having a connection to something bigger. We're tapping into more attunement to other people, to ourselves, and again, to the divine. And it's that attunement, right, that helps us have the GPS for where we're supposed to go in our lives, right? So part of the jailbreak, a huge piece of the jailbreak is how do you tune into that self-energy, that intuition? And I always do, it's always here because the head, one of, one of my um, colleagues reminded me, the brain doesn't move, right? The brain as an organ does not move, right? Your heart moves. Your heart moves. And there, there's a, a lot of science, and this is, this is what helps people sort of relax into this, about there's an organization called the HeartMath Institute um, that, that looks at the science of the heart. And actually, the heart has its own brain, and the heart is actually controlling more of our brain than the other way around. So doesn't it make sense that that, that connection is going to have to come from here? So the book walks through what some of the science behind that, and it's connected to 
nervous system. So back to the pause, back to back to your question at the beginning, Todd, the, the big pause, right? Some people stayed busy, some people stayed drunk, you know, some people like fought a lot, but other people tuned in, right? To say, what happens when I tune in? And so this intuition allows you to do it, to tune in, to know outside of conscious awareness. And when you're in that place, there's a curiosity, there's a compassion, there's a warmth, there's creativity, there's this openness. And when you're there, you can attune to other people and they feel seen. You can attune to yourself, right? And then the downloads start to come right? The, what is my purpose? What am I supposed to be doing? Does that answer your question? Does that sort of make sense? Oh yeah. Absolutely. It makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. And I think a lot of people are, not everybody, as you said, a lot of people stay drunk, but a lot of us, <laughs> I, I do feel like I'm in some sort of what you just described. You know, I don't know that I have that level of awareness, but I definitely feel different about everything. I feel like, you know, Todd and I, before the pandemic, we're running around like crazy. We were traveling, you know, almost every week. We had cl- our clients were sending us. Todd had just come back from Brazil. You know, I was going all over the country, you know, and we we were traveling like maniacs, you know, and just running and running. We were looking at what and whatever being gone twice, what, two, three times a month, right? You know. And whatever came in for the business, yes, we can do it, we can do it, we can do it. And we, you know, pull in other independent people or whatever we needed to do. But it was just like the hamster, the the cliche of the hamsters running in the wheel, you know, and that pause while I would never wish that experience and the tragedy and the loss are are heartbreaking to me. Since we did go through it, I feel like I'm coming out on the other side with really re-examining everything and really asking those questions that you're talking about, about, you know, what do things mean now? What do I want to choose now? And what was I doing on autopilot and we're reconfiguring things, a lot of us. And I'm, we're reconfiguring our business. We're reconfiguring, you know, we're still working from home. We have, we're just about to go into the first work that's out in the world again. And, and Todd's doing it. Hooray for Todd, because I, was, yeah. I wasn't ready. <laughs> Not that they, I mean, the client was happy with either me or Todd. Thankfully, we have client, <laughs> amazing clients who were happy to have both of us go and do what, what we do out in the world. But I didn't feel ready yet. I was like, mm, I think I need a little bit longer to figure out who I am, what matters to me, you know, what are we doing here? And so when, is that an example? I'm trying, I guess I'm, it's not that I want to talk about myself, but I want to concretize this a little bit (laughs) for our listeners. And I'm willing to be vulnerable in doing that to give a real example. So I'm like, you know, my daughter's been home from college where she was away at college and had to come home. And so I don't want to work as much. I'm like really enjoying hanging out with her. We have fun and we laugh and we watch silly movies, you know, and so everything just feels different. (laughs) You know what I mean? So that, that introspection and the work that you talked about, I've done a lot of that work in therapy. I have a very strong connection with my inner child, you know, you people can think it's a cliche, but I've had many of the conversations that you've described where I had to go back and find her in some of those kind of traumatic moments from childhood and have really deep conversations with her about how I'm in charge now. You did the best you could at the time. You should not have had to deal with whatever it was. And we're going to 
do things a little differently now, but you did amazing for what you, for being this age and what you were up against. You were amazing. And thank you. Thank you. And like actually held her and cuddled her and, you know, done really, really deep work in therapy around all of that. And yet still, it feels like in my fifties, I'm revisiting all of it. And as a result of, you know, this pause that Todd talked about, and Todd and I talk about this a lot too, you know, I think a lot of people are in this position now of, of questioning things and reexamining their purpose, their life, their vision, who they are, who they want to be. As we have our feet, you know, ready on the precipice to jump back in, I'm finding that a lot of my clients and myself included, we're not just jumping. We're not jumping. We're staying on the edge going, wait a minute. <laughs> do I want to jump back in or do I want to create something different? Yeah. Well, and, what do you and, think? No, I, I think that's absolutely right. When you talk about the inner child work, what's happening is when we have those traumas or those experiences we can't make sense of. So the definition of trauma is just an event or an experience that's overwhelming and you can't make sense of it. So the same bad thing could happen to two, two different people and one, it codes as trauma and the other one doesn't because they had somebody that helped them make sense of it, right? So when we're talking about going back and talking with their inner child or talking, we're really opening up a trauma network, a memory network by focusing our attention on it. And when we have that open-hearted ventral vagal self-energy, right from a physiological perspective, when I'm in that space, I'm starting to reconnect neural pathways that are disintegrated, right? Why didn't I know what this part believed? Because she was in a little, like that part of my, that, that memory is isolated from who I've become now. And so this paying attention, listening to the story, feeling the emotion, actually connects parts of the brain that were previously, it integrates memories that were previously non-integrated, but still running the show. I talk about it like it was a software program that was minimized on the desktop. So it was running your computer, but you didn't know it, right? And so, so when, yeah, when we're able, and when we're able to focus on it, we take it from Windows 1995, right? We update it, we do the patch to, oh, but actually, because stuff worked, right? But we can make it much better if we update it to Windows 2021. So there's really a lot physiologically that's happening when we do this focused work and feel it like this, for this kind of change in this jailbreak, there is an emotional component because the neurotransmitters of emotion are what make those neural pathways malleable, right? And so when people start to understand this, how did I get stuck? The experiences I had, the beliefs that came with those experiences because of my developmental cognitive level. Like I was a kid, of course, this is how I thought about it. And then being able to see the belief that formed, update the belief, that then opens you up to what I would say, this is what you're talking about. What's my vision now? I, I honestly think it's, it's not a create your vision, it's a remember your vision. Because I really think all of this work, when we let go of those burdens of belief or you know, that, that don't work or weren't accurate, we remember, come back into membership with who we really are and while we're here, which is back to those three levels of connection, right? Divine, interpersonally, intrapersonally. And when I remember why I'm here, that energy can be the vision for what's my work in the world? You know, what am I heading toward? And then my parts that previously were adaptive strategies can get on board to make it happen in the world. 
right? So it just sort of rebalances the whole system so that we remember what we're supposed to be doing and then go do it. Well, there was, um, you know, and there's, there's been a lot written about it in like postmodern type stuff, but the, the, the speed at which information through technology, but just the speed at which everything was moving and the amount of messages that we were receiving and sending, um, and still are today, but, and maybe that grew as we sat at home and, you know, used our devices, but the idea was just the speed was almost not sustainable. It could not be sustained. And like Bridget, like you said, we wouldn't want this. We wouldn't wish. And yet we want to find uh, the pandemic and all the, and, you know, suffering and everything. And at the same time, we are, we, it happened, it is, and we're trying to find all the gifts, you know, for the collective. So to get a little meta as you were for a second, if I can, like, as you were talking about that, there is the great pause, the personal reckonings and the confrontation with self by not being able to buffer away, not feel our emotions, not not hear our thoughts in a number of ways that were there pre-pandemic has led then, you know, as I'm listening to you talk and the experience that we're having is, like you said, Bridget, people standing at the uh, precipice of, hmm, you know, not just, I've, I've done some, some attunement with myself, I've worked on myself, I've had to, I intuitively something told me I needed to reach out and grab a tool and develop, right? Which is why, uh, you know, personal development has exploded in the pandemic, right? And our coaching, all of that support. And at the same time, we then get to this place and go like, well, do I want to live that same way? Am I going to go back to that same pattern? And to your point, and I see the connection here is like interrogation of the belief that this is the way I should be, whether it be in a relationship or whether it be, you know, society, like in my job, in support, you know, in service to others or in pursuit of this material good or in pursuit, right? The values and the tensions that we weigh. I mean, I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that? I think that's spot on. What I say to clients about all of this is I want you to make an intentional choice right? So if this is the route you want to go, great, but don't do it on automatic pilot. Eyes Eyes wide open. open. Like if you want to dive into this venture, do it because that's really what you want to do versus that's what you've always done. So I talk about focus as your superpower, right? Because when we focus our attention, we can start to change. We can interrogate. I love that word, these neural networks. We can interrogate these beliefs. We can start to shift the neural networks. And then we can choose what's the best strategy for this particular situation, right? And sometimes the strategy is avoidance. It is. Sometimes that's completely appropriate, right? Sometimes numbing is appropriate. Sometimes action, sometimes inaction. Like, but it's, can you be accountable for your choice? And I think it is that every day it's choice and it's free will. Every day we have to choose to remember or go back on autopilots multiple times a day, at least speaking for myself. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. That's the empowering part of it, right, Angela? Like, that's why I love the work we do, right? I imagine it's why it's to choose rather than to react, to be intentional and select it and knowingly select it more often than not, eyes wide open, seeing the story, that gives us agency. It's very empowering when we're in that place. And that goes back to that relationship with yourself and the intuition that I heard you talking about of like, that's how I learned to trust. That's myself. how I learned like to trust that. myself. And then it's, if, if it didn't go right. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
right? Right. GPS doesn't say, you stupid idiot, you know, turn around. It's like, turn around, no big deal. Take the next right. Like, so it didn't work, right? All right, let's try again. So yeah, I think, and and it's interesting because my conversations with my clients are people wrestling with this, which friendships do I want to keep now? Which ones am I ready to let go? Like, because I think it also strengthened you know, even more long distance friendships and, and sort of reveal, well, that's not, that one's maybe not right anymore. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So not only questioning and reevaluating, you know, how we use our time and our work, but where we, which connections are really the nurturing ones that will, that we, that, because I think also, well, this is kind of a different path, but I think it's related as we're realizing that energy is finite. Like we used to just run ourselves ragged and we got to really conserve energy during the pandemic because we weren't going to parties and we weren't, we just weren't doing all these things that where we expend so much energy. So when you, it really struck me and resonated when you said about reevaluating friendships, I'm, I'm doing that as well. And it's not like I have many people I love, but right. But the energy expenditure of going out to dinner with someone or, you know, or, you know, just, just that emotional investment. I think we have to be honest with ourselves and others about where, where we're capable and where we're consciously choosing and now being discerning about where we want to spend that emotional investment, you know, and, and same with, you know, romantic and and primary, really, I don't know what, you know, spouses and partners. And I'm just seeing so much around that where people, it almost seems to me, I'm curious if you see that people have gotten closer. You know, I, I feel my husband and I've gotten closer, but we also kind of, it brought up some stuff <laughs> that was that we could easily ignore when we were both running around and I was traveling every week. And, you know, and so I'm seeing relationships come apart, come together, come closer, or just also seeing a lot of couples just doing deeper work that probably was needed before, but this brought it to the surface, you know, and I know you do a lot of marriage counseling. So are you seeing that as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. And in part people, I mean, especially in this area, people travel a lot and with no travel, you know, people are, people are together, which, and they usually weren't. And then roles in the family, you know, got, got shuffled. So absolutely that's happening. And, and the way, the way that I talked to my couples was, look, this is an opportunity, right? Avoidance of conflict that doesn't make a healthy marriage. It's how do you navigate that? And it's always, relationships are always a apart and together and apart and together, they're cyclical. Like all things are, you know, I do this one or, or this one, it's tide comes in, tide goes out. Like the, everything is in a cycle. And when they can relax into that, they can use the conflict as a way to level up. Right now we're finally talking about, you know, my resentments about you not doing this or, you know, and, and now we can finally change them. I, the word rhythm, like you find a rhythm You know, it's not like everything's fantastic and peachy and rainbows. It's just there's an understanding that like the rhythm is like like an acceptance and an understanding of letting this thing breathe. And when you do that, it also made me uh, when I say do that, most of you were listening. She's moving. (laughs) There's a level of because you said it earlier. What did you say? You said when I know who I am, it allows you to be who you are. Right. Something to that effect. Right. So that's giving up controlling or shooting, you know, as we talk about another way on other people or situations and just saying, you know, you be you, I'm gonna be me. And I'm comfortable with that. And the reason that is so critical 
is because what I see with so many people is I try to control you because I can't regulate my own emotions. And you're do- what you're doing is triggering me. So instead of me working my stuff out, getting my house in order, I'm going to tell you not to do it. Right. And so, so when I've got this house in order, like you go, go be you. Like it, you know, it works for me or it doesn't, but I don't have to try to control who you are because I can regulate myself. And we do this to children all of the time and we do this to our partners, right? And we need to not do that. <laughs> so, so beautiful. Yes. Here's my question. I'm sitting here listening to this conversation and, and I'm going like, yup, 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 yup. I mean, I'm in it, so I'm saying, yeah. But I imagine someone listening is like, yeah, I, that resonates with me completely. And I want to break out of this thing like what your book isn't out yet I know we're gonna we're certainly pick up the book as a tool and you hear the brilliance that would be that is in the book you know live you know here on the show what do I do what do you recommend I do to to step in you know try to start like breaking down these walls the first is tuning in mindfulness meditation listening internal listening is the key to all of this remember I said focus is your superpower and having mindfulness is paying attention on purpose, right? It's, it's, am I noticing these different parts of me, these different thoughts? We're having internal dialogues all the time, right? The alarm goes off in the morning. Okay, there's the part that says, get up and go for a run. Like you'll be better for your clients and you'll feel good. And the part that goes, oh, you had a really long day yesterday. Why don't you just sleep in, right? And so we're doing that all of the time. So can we develop that part of us that's watching that conversation? right? And then can that one be that self, compassionate, open, right? To say, so this part of you that says stay in bed, like what what is it that you want for her, right? This part that wants her to go, what is it that you want for her? Like, so tuning in, that is absolutely the first key because until we do that, we can't hear what's true for us and then there's no way to change it. And people try to bypass that. They're like, meditation's too hard. Mindfulness is too hard. Then you, don't, you haven't had the right teacher because there's a million different ways to do that. And Angela, wouldn't you say there's just so many distractions these days to pull us away from that? Like, so that, you know, we, we have a podcast episode on morning routines and it fits well with what you're talking about. Because I know for me, I, first thing I do in the morning is meditate because I know if I look at emails or, you know, any, there's a mil, there are a million things for all of us that can pull us away from even our planned committed time to do this self-reflection and focus and to hear that inner voice um, about what's going on. So I think it's just really important for us to remind listeners who we know are on the same page with us because our loyal listeners, you know, we we know who they are. We talk to them. We love you. We we know you're out there, you know. And so this is an important reminder of what we talk about regularly, but from Angela, from her very, you know, expert position saying how important it is to commit to that time for meditation, whatever it is for you, meditation, mindfulness, people have different practices, but something that you stick to and you commit to and you do, even if you have 500 emails in your inbox, you still commit to whatever your practice is, wouldn't you say, Angela? Yeah, well, the practice has to be, in the way that I practice, the practice has to be listening. Like, can I listen to my parts, not try to feel my parts and let them go? Because, and, and there's a place for that. But in this work, it's really, can I hear what's happening for me and get curious about it, not try to non-attach to it? Because if we go from the premise of all of these parts of us, 
really do have a positive agenda for us, even, even if it doesn't look like it on the surface. Like my suicidal clients, right? The part that wants them to die, it just wants them out of pain, right? It, d- death is the collateral damage piece. Their, their positive agenda is, I don't want you to hurt anymore, right? And somebody that drinks too much, it's, I just don't, I don't want you to feel that anxiety. So when we can come at them from that place of how are you trying to help me? So a lot of mindfulness or meditation practices sort of pull those away. So, so a portion of the way I work with clients is, can you hear that? And then can you also cultivate this space of, of quiet attunement with transcendent, right? So, so the first one is here, can I connect to myself intrapersonally? The other is, can I quiet my mind to get the, the download, so to speak? And I love what I agree with what you're saying, trying to do it first thing is important if for no other reason, the momentum of the day hasn't started yet. Like once that momentum's going, it is, you can't stop the roller coaster on the way down. It's a whole lot easier to stop it on the way up, right? Then, then, then it's too late. You might as well start over. So yeah, yeah. And you know, different things work for different people. But I do find that a lot of my clients, if they're really trying to build in something like that, that that it, it tends to be more sustainable if it's a morning practice, but whatever works for people. And really hear what Angela is saying, you know, it's really listening to yourself and not running from what you're being told the messages you're getting, because they're important. And it really was quite profound and struck me when you talked about you know, your, even your suicidal patients and your patients struggling with addiction, that voice that's arguing, come on, have some more to drink. We need to listen to that voice because they have something important to tell us. And there's, there doesn't need to be any judgment in any of this work. Right. Like everybody's, we're all multiple fractured parts trying to put us together <laughs> as a whole, right? And everybody in there needs to be heard. They're trying to help. Right. And so, so then it's working with that, the part that says you're in so much pain. Well, what if I could help you heal that pain, right? So now we're going back to the belief, back to the wounded, because if I'm not wounded, I have to have this distraction. Ah, right. Isn't that great? You know, the gift there, and it's just the starting point, the word is attunement, right? If we're giving one ask of you, you know, those of you listening today, and you can tell you to from we all do this work ourselves is, you know, tune in, tuned in in whatever way that is. We've recommended the morning, right? But find a way to start to hear yourself think and and not, as Angela said, be on autopilot and let that, let that train just start going. I've heard it from my father, but I know he got it from just an anonymous Buddhist philosopher, like the, the mind produces thoughts, like the mouth produces saliva, like they're just there. And like, we're, we, and then science, you know, studies say what, we have upwards of what, 60, 70, 75,000 thoughts a day. Like how many of those are we actually tuned into? And how many do we empower without even knowing it? And so the gift, again, is step into those thoughts. Stop running from them is what she's, she's asked of you and say, tune into them and see what they offer and see if you can create a, a cultivated space that welcomes in some of the other stuff that we've been trying to avoid. Right. It's relationship. Yeah. Being in relationship with the parts, just like we'd be relationship with each other, being in relationship with these parts of you. 
I can't wait to read the finished book when it's, you know, when it's done, the making and breaking of our invisible prisons. It just, this is just a taste of it and just dipping our toe into so much wisdom, Angela. I just, I I can't, I can't thank you. Thank you enough. I'm going to throw it to Bridget because I know she must, I know she, she, she has questions. We could talk to you (laughs) for, I know. We'll do seven, a seven part episode (laughs) of Just Now, but you, you, we can't take your time like that, but go ahead. Well, I'm just wondering, I feel like I had a therapy session too. I'm like, did I really just say that I've done healing my inner child work? But that's okay. I trust our listeners to understand that being with Angela, you just feel so safe. And I forgot everybody's listening, but, but I'm proud of it. It's okay. It's good. You know, and it's helped me so much. A couple things I do want to say, you know, that this work can be hard and it may not be something you want to do alone. And this is not a plug for any of us. But I have been in therapy all my life, on and off, since I was very young. <laughs> my parents were very wise to introduce me to therapy at, at 11, I'll say, I'll say, and also coaching. And I do a lot of coaching. I have a lot of friends who are coaches, so I get a lot of coaching. So if it's scary what we're talking about, I get it. We get it. We know that those whatever you want to call them, the voices the you know the, that we have to start listening to, we may be afraid of what they have to say. And so you don't have to do it alone. And there are lots of free resources as well. There's a lot of information out there and support and organizations and support groups. And, you know, there's lots out there to support you in doing that. So seek help, you know, if you feel you need it. But Angela, I feel like we got so carried away because we were there was so much richness and depth in what you were talking about. And I know you kind of had you know, you talked about you're very organized and you had your you recognize the prison, recognize where it came from, you know, do this tra- inner work of listening. You talked about the three planes of connection. Did we miss any major? Because you have like so much gold in terms of like your ways of of categorizing things and explaining things to make them so relatable and so that we can take them in our lives. Did we miss anything as we got carried away about all the... <laughs> All the details and examples of your did we not get to brilliance? something? I I felt like maybe no or did no, we? Well, I mean, I think I think we got to as much as we possibly could. Okay, um, so I would okay. say I would say check the website for when the book is coming okay. out. Like come back there to we that. go. Like so it's it's yeah because the, and the book is chock because it's full steps. Of, I know you were talking through steps, and I know we didn't get to all the steps. Yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah, there, okay. There's steps and there's okay. there's reflection exercises to go with each one of those in, in the book. There are client stories. There's my story. There's the science in a way that it's understandable because I've taught for a long time and can and have a, a gift for making stuff that's difficult to understand simple. And then exercises. So it's, it's a nice mix is the feedback that I'm getting. So yeah, check out the book. Okay. So that's a perfect answer. So yes, we did miss some of the steps and some of the, <laughs> some of the very important research and work, but that's why you need to buy the that's book. That's why I need to buy perfect. the book. Perfect. <laughs> Too much to cover in one hour. That's right. So every, every episode we have our guests ask a question that they don't know who the next guest is going to be. And then we ask you the question, right? And so her question was, how are you in service to other people? We've answered that question, I think, in a variety of ways. So we could amend it a bit and get a little personal to say, what do you find is most rewarding or gratifying or satisfying about the work you do in service to others? Ah, that's a great question. For me, honestly, it's that moment in the room or over Zoom when the person feels seen. And there's there's something that happens eye to eye, like when we're looking at each other and you feel understood, there's a, 
and, and it's palpable, like you can feel it. So that shift, that energetic shift that, okay, you get me, to me is the gold in all of this work. Because then, okay, I'm not alone in this, this thing. So I hear you saying that when you've, you've earned the trust and now we can really, right? Is that, is that that moment that we're going to now take off into new places together, right? Like you, you've accepted what we're going to do here. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, it's back to that. When my house is in order, it frees me up to be totally curious and open to you because you're not trying, you're not going to like, you're not changing who I am unless I want you to. Right. So I'm okay. Like, I don't have to defend against you. I don't have to push an agenda on you. I can just really be interested and attuned to where you are. And we feel it, right? Because we have mirror neurons, we have a vagus nerve, like we have physiological structures that, that are coding safe, not safe, outside of conscious awareness all of the time. So to me, that's the gold. That's right. And Angela, I think that you saying that, I hope that people recognize that, that that's something that we commit to in our coaching training, and I'm sure in therapy, that there's no judgment, that we want to see you. We want to see what's in there and hold the space for you and for it completely with our whole hearts, with no judgment. And if you ever feel like your coach or your therapist is judging you and thinks you should be doing this or that instead of what you're doing... You know, just, just maybe, yeah, I don't, I, where am I going with this sentence? You know, just that that's not the way it's supposed to be. You, we, we interrogate um, it. Yeah. Interrogate. We don't ask them about interrogate it. Interrogate it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That, that, that your, your um, mental health support, whoever they may be in your life should be able to see you in that way that you're describing and that the wholeness and the beauty and the, the richness of who you are without thinking there's any part of you that's broken or flawed or needs to be fixed. I love, that's why in the beginning, that non-pathologizing, it's like, no, I see you and I'm here to help you to be whoever it is that you want to be. Yes, Todd. (laughs) You just reminded me of a question that we have to ask because this, you are the perfect person (laughs) to answer this question. What is, can you offer a distinction between traditional therapy and coaching. Mm. Okay. It's a great question. Put her on the spot, Todd. Right. right. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, like from, from our class no, number two, we would define it as, <laughs> right? Right. Um, I, I, coaching, coaching is all about the right questions, right? And, mm. and it's beautiful when God. you ask the right questions, right? Which is why I'm like, of course, that's their podcast name. It's perfect. <laughs> it's asking the right question to shift the way the person is thinking about it. Right. So that's like squarely coaching role. And therapists do that a lot too. I see my role as different in that I can, I have a lot to offer about, you know, psychoeducation, about what is happening developmentally, what is happening physiologically, what is happening, right? And what are exercises I can do to help you or practices I can help you do to open, you know, be more in ventral vagal energy or be. So, so there's more directiveness, can be some, a little more directiveness in therapy than traditional coaching. But, but I think there's a, there can definitely be a blend because it's not like you don't do education and coaching. And I, I think all that you offered here in the, in the episode also speaks to like the science 
that underpin the foundation, the science and the foundation of, you know, psychotherapy and of therapy and all the value and the understanding of connecting all of those things, right? And leading to points of, of understanding and then action and how. Right. No, that's a great point because a lot of people will say, well, therapy just, and some therapists do this, right? I just understand why and it doesn't motivate me to change right? That's not my kind of therapy. Like I, I say to my clients first session, my job is to work myself out of a job as quickly as possible. Like I love you, but I don't want to see you forever. You can come back. But, right. right? Yes. But, but that in, yes. in fairness, there are, there are some, you know, that is one of those assumptions out there that therapy, you just talk about your problems forever. And right. Not, not, not all true. of us. No, of us. no, not at all. Yeah. And what's amazing, you're a testament and such an amazing example in the field of like just continuing to push things forward and all the seek, not just what you recommend to others, but you yourself embodying, you're a seeking mind, you're curious, you continue to learn and find out what the next thing is as evidenced, you know, by all the great accomplishments and in, in that were offered in, in the introduction, you know, from Bridget. It's like that's now marrying coaching and, and, you know, more traditional practices to all in service to the individual, right? To seeing everybody thrive. And that's what I hear you saying is like that moment where I know, you know, you feel supported and, you know, we're going to move into a new place. That's beautiful answer. All right. My last question, what can we ask our next guest who, who you don't know who it's going to be? What can we ask them? Gosh, what's their next big thing? Ooh, I like that. (laughs) I like that. What's your next big thing? And what's the next big thing that like may or may not be connected to what they're doing now? Like what's the, Ooh, what's the kernel? Yeah. Oh, a kernel. I love that. That's great. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I'm looking forward to <laughs> Thank you, Angela. Question. We'll have yeah. fun with that one with our next guest for sure. Well, Bridget, I'll throw it to you for some final thoughts and Angela and then I'll. No, just a thank you so much. And everybody, please check the show notes because we're going to link Angela's website and her information. And I know that she has some really powerful, great videos on her website as well. I watched a couple videos of interviews with you and got so much out of them, learned so much. So Angela's got so much work out there doing such amazing work in the world. And just thank you. Thank oh, you, thank Angela. You. This has been so, so great fun. to be with you. Oh, so amazing. Thank yes, you both. Thank so you. good to see you. You too. Same, Angela. The Really, like I said earlier, the gift, like the wisdom, the, the encouragement, all that you offered here is all for the listener, right? It's all in support of what they're after and for what, what they want. And so, you know, we only do this to strive and to, you know, with the goal of leaving. And I know Angela's the same, like of just leaving you better than we found you and trying to offer ideas that, because we are engaged in this work and we know that on the other side of these challenging, uncomfortable moments with self, moments with others is a, a freedom and a joy, you know, that we seek and want for everybody. So that's why we do what we do. So until next time, be good people and make good choices. Take care. Hey, thanks for listening to the Right Questions podcast. We hope this episode sparked something that fuels your own inquiry and transformation. If you like what you heard, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. If you want to learn more about the work we do and how it can benefit you, check out our website, sampsoncoachingandconsulting.com. And connect with me on Instagram at the Bridget Sampson. And you can find me at Todd Parker Official. We'll catch you next week. Until then, 
dare to ask the right questions. 